We're so glad that you've joined us today on the Relevant Church Podcast. There's so much God wants to do in and through you as you listen to today's message. If you want to learn more about Relevant Church, visit us online at thisisrelevant.cc. Thank you so much. How are you guys doing this morning? I'm going to move my table. I'm going to get comfy up here. I am so used to being up here singing. So to talk, it's just, it feels different. It feels different. Before I begin, I just want to shout out my parents are in the house. Sylvester and Virginia John. Yeah. All the way from T-Dot, Toronto, Canada. Um, I'm Canadian, for those of you who don't know. And I'm just excited to be here. So, um... So there was a new guy uh, to a new community, and he decided, a, a new member to a community, he decided to, to take a walk in his new neighborhood. And he, as he began to walk, he saw this man struggling with a washing machine in the front of his home. So as a good neighbor, new to the community, he wants to make some friends. He decides to go to the neighbor and say, hey, do you need some help? I see that you have this appliance, this washing machine. I'm going to assume it's a Whirlpool because I worked at Whirlpool. So it was a Whirlpool washing machine. And he says, do you need some help? And the homeowner says, yes, please. I will gladly receive some help from you. So they both begin to struggle with this washing machine. And knowing Whirlpool washers, some of them are humongous, and the doorways narrow, and these men are struggling with the washing machine. They are so exhausted and tired, they're sweating, beads are coming down their heads, and they decide to step back and look at the stupid thing. The homeowner sweating, he's breathless, and so is the newcomer to the neighborhood, and, and they're looking at the machine, and the, the, the guy that's out on the porch stands there and puts his hands on his hips and says, I don't know how we going to get that thing in there. And the homeowner says, in? I'm trying to get it out. <laughs> now you see, these men were not on the same page, and neither was Jonah and God. So uh, last week, uh, Lewis preached an amazing sermon about the revival that took place in Nineveh. So if you don't know the story, I would encourage you. We have it on Facebook, on um, what podcasts, YouTube. I would encourage you. Yes, a lot of people know the story of uh, Jonah. But to get really deep and dig in, I would encourage you to go and listen to the series Fake Love from the beginning. Now, he preached on uh, Nineveh being able to repent and being able to be revived and, and turn their hearts back to God. See, now, this is an exciting time. This is a whole city, guys. Every single person in the city decides to turn their heart to God. And Jonah is not pleased with this. God is pleased, but Jonah is not. They are not on the same page. So let me, let me take it back to the beginning. Now, Jonah, Jonah is actually a chosen one from God. He's a prophet. So he is chosen from God. God asked him to deliver a word. And instead of being obedient, he takes off running in the opposite direction. So God asks him, can you please go deliver a message to the Ninevites? And Jonah gets on a boat, buys his cruise ticket all the way to Tarshish, which is said to be the total opposite direction to Nineveh. In doing that, there's a storm that God sends his way. 
and on that during that storm we see the the people on the boat are 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 frustrated and they're calling out to their fake gods and they're wondering why this storm is taking place and there's some evil on this boat why this storm is here right now and then they're like um don't we have another person on this boat we find Jonah is is down in the boat snoring he is knocked out fast asleep they wake him up and they're like we need you to cry out to your God. We need you to call out to his name and figure out why the storm is here. There is some evil on this boat. And Jonah has the nerve to boast and say, well, I serve the God of heaven and earth. I don't serve those fake gods. And so they're wondering, well, why aren't you crying out to your God? And they decide, like, if somebody is doing some evil, we're going to throw this person off the boat. So they decide to, to, to draw lots, which is almost like what, what, rock, paper, scissors, flip a coin, draw straws. Jonah draws a straw, and it is the short straw. So they take Jonah and throw him overboard. Now, as he is drowning, God sees grace and mercy to come save him in the midst of his foolishness and him running away. And so this fish comes and swallows up Jonah. Believe it or not, we serve a God that does miraculous things. So I believe that God is able to send a fish to swallow up Jonah. And in the belly of the fish, Jonah begins to pray. He begins to repent and say, God, I will do whatever it takes. Please, Lord, forgive me. I'll be obedient. And at that time, God allows the fish to spit him up onto the land, but not to Nineveh. They spit him up all the way to Joppa where it all began to see if he was really obedient. He decides to go ahead and, and, and listens to God and he goes to Nineveh. He goes and he preaches a message to the people and these people repent. These people turn to God. They begin to fast and pray and this is part of the story I'm excited about. A whole city is saved. Now I'm a movie person and I like movies to end well. I like the good guy to win. I like the bad guy to lose and I like the hero to ride off in the sunset and live happily ever after. Who likes good stories? So if, so if this was the story that I expected, we would have ended in chapter 3. But unfortunately, there's a chapter four to Jonah. And so it does not end well. And this is where we begin our story today. So if you have a Bible, and if you don't, go ahead and raise your hand and the house crew will get one to you. But if you have a Bible, we're going to turn to Jonah chapter four, verse one. And when you got it, say, I got it. Awesome. If you don't say, keep going, I'll follow up. Before we begin digging in God's word, let's just pray over it. Lord Jesus, we just expect you to, to allow us to understand your words. Dig us deeper in your love and your understanding of, of the story of Jonah, dear Lord, for us. Open our eyes and open our hearts to receive a word from on high. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let us dig into Jonah together. We are going to read chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, it displeased, say displeased, Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. 
And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is, is it not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. We're going to stop right here. Isn't it interesting that God has more problems with one of his chosen people than a whole city of pagans? Isn't it interesting and sad? Let's dig in deeper, but let's look at number verse one. Let's take each verse at a time. Verse one, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. You see, uh, Jonah had only to deliver, only delivered the message of wrath. He did not deliver the message with the heart of God. He did not deliver the message and encourage the repentance of the people. He went and he delivered a message of wrath, and that's where it stopped. So first of all, he's upset, number one, with the people for receiving mercy from God. Why? Because they were, he, was t- he was told that they were evil, they were wicked people, they were pagans, they were Gentiles, they were not of his fold, and therefore he was upset that God even saw mercy on them. Number two, he's upset with God for giving them mercy. So this... This cause, this is ridiculous because he wanted to share the message, but he didn't want to do it in love, in that, you know, that real love. All right, all right, that real, that real love that I'm talking about, right? So there, he's angry with God for sharing real love. And then I remember growing up, talking about real love. I remember growing up, I have two siblings. They're both older than me. I'm the baby. And I grew up very close to my brother. His name was Gary. He's four years older than me, but we grew up so close. I don't know if you guys uh, have ever experienced this, but going through businesses, I don't know if a hallway or subways. In Toronto, Canada, we have subways. And sometimes when it's really late at night, when you're walking through the subways, there's like sensors and the lights start to boo and shine brighter as you walk, right? And uh, I had office buildings that did that too. As you're walking, the light starts to shine brighter and it just feels like the light's following you down the halls, right? Well, in my house, I did not have that. Um, and so I had, to, I had to be that sensor light switch for myself. Um, my parents would probably go to bed and tell us it's spring break or summertime and they'll tell us when you guys are finished with that one show, go to bed. And so Gary and I will be watching TV, and as soon as that show is done, he would pew, he'll be up the stairs, and he would turn off all the lights. So I would be in the family. I was a chicken, y'all. I was scared of the dark. And so I would be in the family room, and I would put on that first light, and then I'd run up the stairs and put on the 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 stairs light and run back down and turn off that one then run back up and go a little further to turn on the hall light but then run back down to turn off the stair light and this continued all the way up to the third floor where our bedrooms were now uh, I know some of you guys have in your home light switches 
two light switches for one light bulb. Anybody have that in their house? They have two light switches that control one light. In our home, if you get one of those switches perfectly in the middle, neither on nor off, the other one will fail to work. And so my brother, he would have gone upstairs and set that dial just perfectly. And so I did all my fancy, you know, illuminating lights following me, and I did all that, and I would get to the last set of stairs where the bedrooms are at the top, and I'd flip on the light, and I'd flip down the light, and I'd keep doing that. And my parents are asleep, so I don't want to wake them. And so I'll start walking up the stairs, Gary, Gary, don't scare me, please. (laughs) Gary, don't do it, don't do it. And I'd be walking, but I know where the light is. I memorized my house, you know. I grew up in the house. So I knew where the light switch is, but sweat is beating down my forehead, and I'm cold. Have you ever had a cold sweat? That nervousness, the heart is in the throat. And I am just about to reach that light. And he would jump out and scare me. I would bawl, guys. I would cry like a baby. And I didn't want to wake up my parents, but that scared the mess out of me. And my parents would get up. They would come to me and say, Gary, say sorry to your sister. And he would hug me, and he would say sorry. And he would give that smirk. Why? Because he's probably going to do it again when he has the next chance. And that's what I'm talking about when he was obedient, right? He said sorry, but he didn't say it in the way my parents expected him to with a repentant heart. So he said sorry knowing that he was going back to do wicked things to his sister. Now, I have a quote from Eugene Peterson, and it says, studying the text is more important than obeying the text. Because if you do not understand it rightly, you will obey it wrongly, and your obedience will be disobedience. See, right here, what that actually means is, if you do not understand the heart of God, a lot of times we will read this book, and we will go through it and see the do's and don'ts, and we do the do's and don't do the don'ts, But we're not doing it with the correct heart. So therefore, we're being obedient, but because we're not obeying rightly, we are actually being obedient wrongly, and our obedience is disobedience. And that's where we find Jonah right now, is he was obeying God, but he didn't do it with the heart of God. You see, Jonah shared the message with fake love, right? And all, we, all they needed was that real love, you know, that real love. Okay, cut it, cut it, cut it. Cut it. That's good, that's good right there, that's good right there. Thank you, thank you. Let's look at verse number two together. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is it not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, say I knew, that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. You see, that I knew 
He had a relationship with God. He had to because he was a prophet. He knew God's heart. He knew what was right. He knew that God was gracious. He knew that God was merciful. He knew that God was slow to anger. So I don't know why this surprises him. So we see in the beginning of Jonah that he's fleeing from God. But right now in this chapter, we see him flying in the face of God like, I knew, I told you so. He has attitude with God saying, I knew you would do this. I knew you would have grace and mercy towards these people. I told you so. That's why I didn't want to share your message. Point number two, don't feed what you feel when what you feel is contrary to God's word. You see, he was feeding these negative thoughts that he had from uh, for the Ninevites. He's never been to there before, so all the things that he was getting was things that people have told him and shared with him. And so when he went to Nineveh, they could have killed him. They could have put him in jail. They could have tortured him. But isn't it funny that they actually received him and listened? He came and delivered a message of wrath to them, of anger, of hatred to them. But yet they received him. Isn't it funny sometimes how we have a negative look at people based on what we've heard in the past? And then it's not until we get to talk to them and get to know them that we're like, this person is not that bad. Or this person is is a good person. But because we were feeding those negative things in our heart and our mind, deep down we still have a negative outlook to that person. Now, if we look back to chapter 3, verses 4, Pastor Muta preached on this a couple of weeks ago, but I just want to look back at that verse. We have a, a screen for it. It says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now that word overthrown, in Hebrew it means it is hafak, which means to transform or to, to turn. Now he's upset with the response of the Ninevites because he shared a message, and deep down, because of all the negative things he's fed to himself, he expected to be, them to be transformed in a negative way, almost like a flip of a coin. He never expected them to repent and give their, their life to God. So he's actually upset with their response. Now, Steve Furtick quotes, and, I'll, and says this. He says, it's not your job to worry about the outcome. It is your job to walk in obedience. And I'm not just talking about regular obedience, which he did. I'm talking about obedience with a true heart behind it. You see, back in the day when I was young and not a kid anymore. You guys know that? Back in the days. Back in the days. It wasn't that far back. It was about 15 years ago. Pastor Muta and I was talking. And... um. We were beginning our relationship, and, and we began talking and stuff like that. And um, we didn't have label at the time of boyfriend and girlfriend. But you know when you're talking, you know, you know, you know this one's mine kind of mentality. But um, there was a guy that I was talking to online 
that reached out of me, out to me online. It wasn't text, and it was a what is that messenger at the time? It was 15 years ago, guys. Don't make fun of me. It was new. So, um, 15 years ago, 16 years ago. My bad. My husband corrected me. It was 16 years ago. All right. And uh, we were talking online and texting and stuff like that. And and uh, Pastor Muta would warn me and say, "Yo." Um, you know I'm a guy, and I know how guys think, right? And this guy is doesn't have good intentions for you. So be careful. Like, why are you talking to him? And I would brush it off like it's nothing. You know, we're just friends. He graduated, you know, and, and we just found each other online, and we're connecting, and I want to find out how he's doing now and stuff like that. And Pastor Mutal be like, oh, all right. And then... He would warn me again because he would notice I'd continue talking to this dude. And um, alumni came and, and at our school, and everybody that graduates comes back, and there's festivities and music and songs and whatever. And he came back, and he says, hey, you want to connect? You? And I was like, sure, why not? You know, I've been connecting with you online. And he came over to the house, and... Um, (laughs) I'm looking at my husband Um, and one thing led to another and it didn't end well for me I ended up in sin I ended up doing wrong and I ended up messing up our relationship to the point that our marriage was rocky for the first five years and this quote is so powerful to me because it's not your job to worry about the outcome. It's your job to walk in obedience. You see, um, Pastor Muta, it wasn't his job to worry about my outcome, but he was walking in obedience because he was warning somebody that he loved. He was giving advice to somebody because he knew that if they followed through with what was going to happen, it would end in disaster and hurt for that person. And we see right here in point four, I mean point three, I'm sorry, we are responsible for sharing it, but not the outcome of the person hearing it. Jonah was responsible for sharing it, the message that God had given him to share, but he was not responsible for the outcome, and he was actually upset that the outcome was a positive one. Let's look at verse 5 together. I think I skipped one. Let's look at verse 4, sorry. And the Lord said... I skipped a lot, guys. Let's look at verse (laughs) 3. I got excited. Sorry. Uh, Let's look at verse 3. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Right now, we see Jonah at a passion of odds with himself. He is so upset with the situation. He is so upset that God saw grace for these people that he is willing to allow them himself to die. God, take my life because I'd rather die than to see all these people saved. What kind of wicked person is that? His heart was not in the right place. His response to God was so mean, so hurtful, like, 
he knew God and he knew who God was. He knew that God was gracious and loving, but yet he's still upset with the response that God has. When passions rise up in us, we need to ask ourselves, do I do well to be angry? Do I do well to be angry? Let's look at verse 4. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Right now, God is giving him grace. God is trying to reason with him. Jonah, do you really do well to be angry? Are you really upset right now? Are you repenting from doing good? Like, does that make sense? Jonah, do you really do well? to be angry. And sometimes we need to ask ourselves when passions rise, do I really do well to be angry right now? Do I really do well to be angry for this long period of time? Do I really do well by taking my anger out on such and such and such and such? And do I really do well to be angry? And then we have to ask ourselves, do we anger over the grace God extends to others, which he so often extends to us? We see that Jonah is given grace. He runs away, God gave him grace. He's in the water and a fish swallows him, God gave him grace. Right? He goes to Nineveh and the people could have really killed him. God gave him grace. Right? And now God is saying, I'm going to give my grace to these people. And he's upset that they're getting the same grace that he experienced. Let's look at verse 5 together. It says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now that term booth, the the Israelites or the Hebrews used to take journeys and travel. And these traveling wasn't, uh, the booth was like a tent, but it wasn't like a, a tent, like, hey, we're going camping for a weekend or a week. It was like almost like a temporary situation. They would stay there for months at a time. They would set up housing and have a place for their cattle uh, to eat and drink. And so we even see that in chapter 3, verse 4, when he says in 40 days... In 40 days, meaning that Jonah set up tent so that he could sit there to the east. The, uh, if you do the study, you find out that the east is a little higher than Nineveh in, in, in regards to the land. So he's setting up tent. He's setting up ringside seats so he could sit and wait and watch for God to destroy these people. So he sets up tent. He sets up booth to the east. And he's sitting there waiting Number one, he's expecting, number one, for either the people after they've repented to start backsliding and start going back to their original ways so that he could say, yes, God, send down the fire. They made a mistake. Or he's waiting for God to say, yeah, you repented, but because I said I was going to destroy you, I'm still going to destroy you. See, that half-fact that overthrowing, that changing of heart. He really did not want the people to change their heart. He wanted them to be destroyed. Isn't it sad that sometimes we sit back and we wait for people to fail so we can say, I told you so. So 
Pastor Mutan and I, in love taking uh, trips together, in love taking road trips together especially, because we get to sit down and reminisce and talk and sing music and listen to all the 90s. Well, I do because I like R&B. But anyways, um, we enjoy taking road trips together. And there was one day that we were, I can't remember where we were going, but we were driving along the way. And um, I, we stopped, and he's about to make a turn. And I say, um, sweetie, aren't we supposed to be turning right here? And he'll say, no, I believe it's a left. And he'll proceed to make that left turn. Now, you see, we have to reach our de- destination at a certain time, right? But deep down in my heart, which is sad, I'm off- this is authenticity, right? Yeah. This is my heart at the time. I would literally, instead of saying, Lord Jesus, I pray that he made the correct turn so we can reach our destination on time. Deep down, I'm saying, ooh, I'm out. I hope he made the wrong turn. Just so I could say, I told you so. You know, isn't it sad that we sometimes sit back and wait on people to fail so we could say, I told you so. And this is what Jonah's doing at the time. He is sitting back. He created a booth, a tent, a, a, a temporary space for him to sit for 40 days just so he could sit back and look and say, I told you so. You know, growing up and, and Muta and I together, Pastor Muta and I together, like in the beginning of our relationship, people did not understand and did not believe. Like, What? Muta Mwenya and Christine John got together. Did you hear it? This guy that, you know, he goes clubbing and smoking and he's part of a frat, got with this good, pristy, uh, prestigious Christian girl with a good Christian face. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. But I did have a good Christian. I had that. I had that. So, but they were at so confused because. Christine John is with this, you know, hoodlum. And um, <laughs> it's funny because I got calls all the way from Canada asking, quite like, hey, is it, is it true that you're with Muta Mwenya? You know, the guy that goes clubbing and stuff. And um, yeah, I am with him, you know. It was, it was okay. But s- s- from the beginning, people were waiting on our relationship to fail. People would sit back and wait for us to fail. It was all the way until our marriage. The first five years of our marriage was Armageddon. We would fight constantly, argue a lot. Our marriage started off very rocky. And those people who we thought were friends who we'd call to and turn to for advice and encouragement would say, nah, he ain't the right one. You should just divorce that. Forget that. That ain't going to work. Thank God those are not friends anymore. But those people were literally sitting back and waiting for us to fail so they could say, I told you so. You shouldn't have got with that person. You shouldn't have done this. I told you so. But let them wait, guys. Haters going to hate, right? Let them wait because, you know, three weeks ago we celebrated 14 years and I expect to to make it to 20 and to 30 and to 40. So I'm just going to sit back and let them wait. Let's look at Proverbs 24 verse 17 together. It should be on the screen. It says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls. 
and let not your hearts be glad when he stumbles. It's in the Bible, y'all. Did you hear it? Do not rejoice when your enemies fall and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Are we checking our heart? Jonah didn't check his heart because he was waiting for them to fail. He was trying to be obedient by sharing God's word, but he didn't do it with the heart of God. Are we checking our heart? When we're asked to do a task, are we doing it with the heart of God? Are we doing it with a willing and a loving heart? When we read God's word, are we checking God's, are we checking our heart? Are we just reading it and seeing the do's and the don'ts and the the wills and the won'ts and the, are we just reading the word to try to obey or are we doing it with the father's heart? Are we doing it with that real love? Okay, okay, that's good, that's good. Good right there, right there. So Jonah was sharing God's word with that fake love. And God wants us to check our heart and share his word with that real love. You see, um, we have to have the heart of the Father. And you'll hear that a lot. The song, even the song that was by Mary J, it says, I'm searching for a real love. Why? Because our hearts are searching for a real love. A lot of times our hearts are searching and we're filling our hearts with addictions. That is not the real love. That's a fake love. We're filling our hearts with a career and money. We're filling our hearts with things that are not. That real love is Jesus Christ. And we hear the heart of the Father. And a lot of times you'll hear around Relevant talking about the heart of the Father. And it goes back to talking about the prodigal son. The heart of the Father. Now if you don't know that parable, it's in the Bible. It's about a, a boy who decides to leave home. He says, I want my inheritance. I want my part. And I want to leave. I want my money, Dad. And I want to leave. Now in the Jewish culture... You don't get your inheritance until you, the, the father passes away. But here he is to the point he doesn't care about his dad. Like, I don't care if you're dead or alive. I want my share and I want to go do with it without what I want to do with it. And he runs off and he goes and he uses the money. And then he has friends because he has money, right? And as soon as that money is gone, so are the friends. And he ends up in a a place in his life where he's hungry and he's lonely and he's tattered and he he doesn't have money to buy new clothes so his clothes look like rags. And he's so hungry and he walks by a, a pig pen and he sees that the pigs are eating it and enjoying their food. And he gets down on his knees right beside one of the pigs. And this is a Jewish boy. So pigs and, and Jews are, that's a no-no. They're not even supposed to touch the swine. But he gets down on his knees beside the swine and is ready to eat the slop that the pigs eat. And he stops and he thinks. He's like, doesn't my servants, my dad's servants have better food than I have right now? Doesn't my dad's servants have better living quarters than I have right now? What if I just go home 
to my father? What if he just accepts me back as one of his servants? Not his son, because I realize I've took all the money. I've went and I've, I've wasted it. What if he just receives me back as one of his servants? And so as he's walking home, he's thinking about all these things. And he's trying to make sure that, okay, I have to make sure I at least look presentable. I at least look decent. How am I going to clean myself up to show myself to God, my, my father? And even before he gets to the gate, we see daddy running towards him with open arms. Saying, welcome home. That is the heart of the Father. That is the heart that we need to have when people walk through our door. That's the heart that people we need to have when people show up in front of us and says, I need help. Can I talk to you? That is the heart that we need to have is the Father's heart. The Father never said, hey, sweetie, you stink. You're dirty. Go clean yourself up and then you can come back in. The father embraced him just as he as he was. And that father is saying, come home. I don't expect you to clean up yourself before you come back. I don't expect you to clean up yourself. I don't expect you to stop smoking before you come back. I don't expect you to stop your addictions before you come back. I don't expect you to stop this and stop that and clean up your life before you come back to me. God is standing there with open eyes and saying, come on home, welcome home. That is the Father's heart. I remember earlier on in our marriage, and Isaiah was only about five years old, either five or four, I can't remember. But he did something wrong. And we've warned him over and over several times not to do it. And I can't even remember. I only remember certain parts of the story, but I can't remember what he did. But whatever he did, it was time for him to be disciplined. He deserved punishment. We gave him second, third, fourth, fifth chances, and it was time for him to receive a punishment. And we said, Isaiah, can you go get the belt, please? And he went upstairs, he got the belt, because he had to get pow-pow on his bottom. That's the term that we used at the time, pow-pow. And um, he went and got the belt, and he did so willingly because he knew what he did was wrong. And he passed the belt to his father. And as a mom, this is my firstborn. In my head, I'm like, can we give him another chance? Can we not spank him this time? Can you just, can you just... But I didn't say anything because if that happens, he'll know that he could play us over and over and over and over again. But as I saw Isaiah turn around and cover his face because he knew he was about to get pow pow, I just turned my head away because I didn't want to see it and I didn't want to hear it. And I heard, I saw my husband lift up the belt and it came down with a smack. But I didn't hear a cry and it didn't make sense to me. Then I heard it again. And I turned and I looked and I saw my husband with the belt smacking himself over and over. Isaiah turned around and grabbed his dad's arm and said, no, it's me. I did it. I'm sorry, dad. Don't hurt yourself. 
And dad kept smacking himself with the belt and saying, I'll take the punishment this time, sweetie pie. And at that moment, I realized that that was a message of the gospel that he shared with his son in that moment. The smacks that he received was supposed to be Isaiah's, but he said, I will take the punishment for you. Jesus stretched out his arms and he said, I will take the punishment for you. It should have been my hands. It should have been your feet. It should have been your side. But Jesus said, I got you. I got you. That is the Father's heart. Jesus says, I got you. Stop running. Stop looking for that love. I am the real love. Come on home. Come on home. I am the real love. God stretched out his hands just like the Father of the prodigal did as he was running home. He stretched his arms wide but to be nailed to a cross. And he said, I did it for you. And I'll do it again. And I'll do it again. And I'll do it again. But will you receive his real love today? Will you accept that real love today? It's free. He paid it all. Thank you again for joining us on the Relevant Church Podcast. If this message has been impactful to you, let us know by sending an email to hello at thisisrelevant.cc. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing at given.thisisrelevant.cc. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel for more messages like this one.